It is 32 minutes after the hour. If you are just climbing into the vehicle after a long day at work, please go to the website. The, the show today has been unbelievable, and you're not going to want to have missed any of it. So if you did miss some of it, definitely head back to uh, MyFaithRadio.com and check out uh, my guests have been superb today. As always, uh, wrapping up the show today is uh, Danielle Strickland. She's an author and a speaker, and she currently lives in Toronto, and uh, she has done things like establish justice, justice departments for the Salvation Army to launching global anti-trafficking initiatives. She trains and advocates and inspires people to live differently. She's written five books, including The Ultimate Exodus, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You, and she's on our studio line. Hello, Danielle. Hey, great to be with you. Are you okay with talking about yourself today? my best. All right. It's not my best subject. But. Oh, no, I think it is because your story is absolutely fascinating. Nice. Thank you very much. Yeah. And our listeners would love to uh, get their meat hooks into your story. That's great. So, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's start with, uh, let's start with your, um, your, your journey because you, you've had some rough spots. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? When I talk about my journey, I can't really talk about my journey without um, beginning with my parents' journey because both my parents were orphans and they were kind of intercepted or rescued. Uh, There was some intervention. The Salvation Army in different neighborhoods were knocking on doors looking for kids that needed some hope and some belonging and found my parents. Hmm. And they both kind of like witness to the fact that they found a a family, they found belonging, they found what they were looking for, that they were missing in their lives through the church and through Jesus and through the Salvation Army. So that kind of, this was a a classic case of sort of change of um, direction. Mm -hmm. And they found each other and then they decided to live a life that was about uh, giving what they had found back. And so that's kind of, I grew up in that context in a family that was kind of like, we always rooted for the underdog. Okay. Uh, like, as a matter of fact, at the, in Canada, there's this tradition called Hockey Night in Canada, and everybody yeah. watches the hockey on Monday nights. And I would always go down. Everyone has a team, you know, but I would always go downstairs and say, hey, Dad, like, who are we cheering for? And he would tell me who the underdog was. Mm, interesting. And so even as a little kid, you know, we were always on the side of the underdog, right? Like, we were always cheering for the little guy. Like, we believed that the little guy could make it. So in hindsight, when I look back on my life, I realized that a lot of those deep-seated beliefs that I hold, even with justice, you know, with that, it's never too late. It's not too hard uh, that God means to include everybody in the good news. Those are all kind of really deeply embedded in my family's story. Um, And I think, unfortunately, in some ways, my parents, they were definitely redeemed and were grafted into something more beautiful. They, they defied sort of the statistics uh, and, and did something beautiful with their lives. And at the same time, they came out of a lot of brokenness. And there was still a lot of brokenness in the way that our family operated. And um, that really affected me uh, and my sister, actually, both. There was, uh, you know, abusive things going on in the churches that my parents led um, that caused a lot of pain, personal pain. Mm -hmm. And I really had this kind of really weird thing about God. I thought that he was authoritative. I thought he was punitive. I thought he was perpetually disappointed with me. (laughs) Um, you know, and for good reason, because I was naturally, it seemed fairly gifted at breaking all the rules on a regular (laughs) basis. 
And mm-hmm. I remember my mom saying, you know, you're so good at many things, Danielle, but you're particularly good at being bad. You know, <laughs> So um, that's kind of, I, I thought, I believe this big fat lie that's rebellion equals freedom. And that's a pretty deep-seated lie in culture anyway. And I believed it, hook, line, and sinker. And my personality is to do things in an extreme way. So I just was extremely, I'll go that way. Um, And so I just kind of pursued rebellion as a means to be free, Uh, shook off sort of the church thing, the God thing, the parents thing, you know, left home when I was really young. I stole my first car when I was 12. Um, I was always trying to escape. uh, And that led to, you know, just more and more versions of slavery, Um, terrible relationships. It led to drugs. It led to dealing. It led to crime. And eventually I found myself locked in a cell. And didn't you find yourself homeless at one point as well? Yeah, I mean, I would be in and out of, like, on the streets until sort of the law caught me, is uh-huh. basically kind of how that went. And then I'd be yeah. dragged back to my parents' house, uh, and then i hit the road again. And, you yeah. know, it would sort of go on and on like that. I Just basically as a juvenile, as a teenager, I was an extreme uh, rebellious version of yeah. I got a little. I got a little stuck on. Uh, I stole a car when I was twelve. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I was too young for juvie, so they had to go. It's a thing called family court, where because you, <laughs> you're too young to be, you know, tried as a juvenile delinquent. So it's you know, I started really early. Yeah, because you yeah. you steal yeah. a car, but you're sitting on a phone book in order to drive it, and right. I don't know. The whole thing exactly. sounds like it's a. A crazy thing to do for a 12-year-old. But, boy, when you're in the rebellious mode, you're going to do just about anything. Push every envelope you can, aren't you? Yeah, and I think for me, I was really after freedom and escape. Like, so all my, even when I look back on it, all my stories of sort of these extreme versions of rebellion were rooted in trying to get away. You know, so it's a really interesting kind of idea of trying to get away. What was that going to give you, Danielle? Getting away, what, what was it going to provide in your in your mind at the time? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I think, one, I really longed for freedom. I think I felt the authoritative sort of structure of religion and even maybe just my own, my, my father's parenting style, mm-hmm. you know, just really suffocating. So I wanted to be free. And then I also think that escaping from pain, uh, so I think I had some early childhood, you know, sort of sexual abuse history mm-hmm. that I wasn't really conscious of for many, many years and just have become more and more aware of that recently. But I think a lot of that triggered sort of this escape um, masking of pain, like get out of your own life um, sort of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you hear the jail cell close, do you hear God whispering, Danielle, do I have your attention now? Well, actually, what happened, I actually thought jail was a badge of honor at that stage. I was so (laughs) darkened in my understanding that I was going to be the best rebel there was, right? Like I was like, I was hitting benchmarks, like rebellion. So I was kind of still a little bit weirdly proud of how bad I was. Okay. Any weird, that makes weird, distorted sense. But in my darkened mind, that's, um, that's what I was feeling. You know, there's a scripture that I use sometimes as my testimony in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And it says, once I was alienated from God and I was an enemy. And I've just noticed this recently, but it says I was an enemy in my own mind, which I think is really fascinating hmm. because of my evil behavior. But now Christ has reconciled me 
And it, it was just like, I, it really dawned on me a couple weeks ago that even when I thought I was an enemy of God, it was in my own mind because God is never anyone's enemy. I mean, he's a friend of sinners, right? He's on the side of reconciliation. He's only ever going to extend grace and mercy, forgiveness and peace and, mm -hmm. you know, this offer of freedom. So it was just really interesting that I considered myself an enemy of God because my mind was darkened. Mm. But um, anyway, the Salvation Army never really, I couldn't really get rid of them. Uh, even though I had gotten rid of my folks because that had become a dangerous, I kept abusing that relationship. So they cut me off, uh, rightfully so. But this other lady from the Salvation Army would just keep picking me up and visiting me and like kind of never giving up on me. And she managed to visit me in this bottom of this holding cell before I was sentenced. And I remember seeing her coming and thinking to myself, oh, brother, you know, here comes a, a lecture from someone who knows I know better, you know. And uh, instead of giving me a lecture, she just wrapped her arms around me and she whispered in my ear, I love you and left. That was it. It was literally like a two minute visit. And as she was leaving, I was so unappreciative, like so ungrateful that I even said after her, you know, you didn't even bring me a smoke. <laughs> um, and as she left, the door clanged and I was all alone and still a little bit delirious from my own drug addiction and things like that. But I, I had Jesus appear to me in the cell, the same way the woman had come. Uh, and actually, interestingly enough, I assumed the same thing about him as I did about her, that he was going to be disappointed, that he was going to bring a lecture, that I was in trouble. And instead, what happened was he did the same thing that she had done. He wrapped his arms around me and he whispered in my ear, I love you. And I realized the darkened part of my mind that thought I was an enemy of God turned on. Like there was a light that turned on on the inside of me. And I, I literally remember coming to my senses kind of like going like, I'm in jail, you know, like, what am I doing in jail? Like just literally coming to um, my own condition, my own humanity and deciding that if God was for me and not against me, there was maybe another way to live. It's just beautiful. Uh, I mean, it's so yeah. powerful. And she, this visitor, this woman who was investing in you, you know, probably had rehearsed a number of things she wanted to say or thought about saying, but what came out was, arms around you and I love you. And then she left. <laughs> That's yeah. so profound. Yeah. Is there anything more to say? No. Right? Like to someone whose heart is hard and whose mind is darkened, right? It's that classic idea that love can awaken uh, what everything else is shut, right? Like, yeah. That, yeah. You can, re you can reject yeah. the love, but deep down you, I'm sure you just were thrilled to hear it. Weren't you? Yeah. Something in my spirit, uh, warmed mm, right like yeah. there was something cold my cold heart kind of warmed up um and i mean how disarming is love when you don't deserve it right oh, no. i mean how it's just such a disarming presence and i think when the bible talks about love as the thing that conquers all you know those are the glimpses that we get where we go oh that's how that works right yeah yeah um talk if, if you would we're gonna take a break in a couple of minutes here uh, talk about uh, brave global yeah, so Brave Global is this beautiful, beautiful strategy that mobilizes churches and communities to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. Mm. So we came across a study that 60, 70 to 80% of domestic sex trafficking victims, so that's girls that are trafficked for sex that are born in America, 70 to 80% of them come from foster care. 
So when we first discovered that study, we were a little despairing because we were like, this is crazy. Like, this is horrible, like 70 to 80 percent. But then we had this thought. And the thought was this. If traffickers can target vulnerable girls for exploitation, why can't the church target vulnerable girls for redemption? I love it. And we realized that we knew their names, we knew where they were, and every church in the country is in proximity to a community that has these girls. And we thought if we were, we could be at least as strategic as exploiters were. And we started these local uh, events that have sort of three parts to them. And it's about preventing uh, sex trafficking. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And that's braveglobal.org. If listeners wanted to go yeah. poke around that website and, and learn more. Yeah. And if you wanted to be part of like your church or a community that wants to get there first, that's mm-hmm. kind of our, Sure. I mean, we could literally, it was also so hopeful that we could, we could decrease human trafficking by 80% just by getting there first. So that in, in the space where you're combating human trafficking, which I've been doing for about 22 years, this is the most hopeful I've ever been, uh, that we could actually have a fair fight on our hands if we decreased the traffic by 80%. That's a stunning statistic, Danielle, that just 80% yeah. just sh- show up and be there first. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's got to be encouraging yeah. to all the listeners. Let me take a break. My, my guest is Danielle Strickland. Uh, We'll continue our conversation. She's written five books. She's written one called The Ultimate Exodus, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You. I want to ask her about that when we come back after the break. At 12 minutes until the top of the hour, Bill Arnold here talking to Danielle Strickland. Just a fascinating conversation on a number of, of places that she has been and, and uh, the way she uh, sort of rediscovered her faith um, after being very rebellious. So she's written a book uh, called The Ultimate Exodus, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You. It sounds like rebellion is one of the things that was enslaving you. Is that fair, Danielle? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So, what are what are some of the? Uh, how do you find freedom from what's what's holding us in slavery and bondage? Yeah, you know that's interesting. That book is really about um, confronting Pharaoh. So it's, it uses the Exodus from the Bible as sort of this big narrative mm-hmm. of a people who are oppressed that want to be set free. Okay. And you know, one of the steps to finding freedom is to recognize where you're oppressed. And that can actually take some time. It's really interesting when you think about the Exodus story because we always pick up the story as though Egypt is the enemy. Oops, I think we lost her. We're trying to get a hold of her. I know she was on a cell phone traveling, and you never know what happens. Cell phone towers, you switch bases, and then all the She might be popping back up on the line, but it gives me an opportunity to tell you next week is going to be a lot of fun going on in the studio because we start Tuesday with our fall share. And that is always, always so much fun. And thank you so much for supporting Faith Radio and and uh, saying, yes, we want to continue to support Faith Radio. We have been around since 1948 we started. Is that right? 48 or 49? 49. 49. Yeah. I, let's say 48. 48 is more impressive. <laughs> uh, I think we have Danielle. That works for me. I think we have her back. Are you back with us? Danielle. Sorry about that. No problem. No problem. You probably just ran out of anytime minutes, so you got to get a better <laughs> cell phone plan. 
Yeah, it must be some Canadian airwaves up here or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's just talking about breaking free from whatever enslaves us, and you were uh, sharing it right before you disappeared about... Yeah, um, identifying your oppression. Yeah, identifying Um, your oppression. Yeah, I think it was um, Sigourney, the the slave that had set so many other people free, she said that I could, I could have set thousands of more people free if they hadn't known they were slaves. Mm. And it's kind of this idea that, you know, the Israelites went to Egypt um, in blessing, right? And they were given the best land in all of Goshen for shepherding, and they were honored. And then over a couple hundred years, what turned into this beautiful mutual blessing, because Israel, Egypt saved Israel, and then Israel saved Egypt, right? There was this classic mutual blessing, And then it turned into oppression. And you kind of pick up these hints in the story in chapter one of Exodus, where the Israelites, even though they still live in the best land for shepherding, they're no longer shepherds, they're bricklayers. And you start to piece together some things, like the the fastest growing empire in the world was Egypt, and the way they grew their empire was through bricks. And you start realizing that they've traded in sort of their identity as Israelites in for an identity as Egyptians. And the oppression that happens, that begins to grow in their life, kind of separates them from their calling to be a blessing. And they, it, it turns into oppression. And so you start, you know, you start recognizing, they start crying out, they start realizing what's happened, and they start crying out to God. And God says, no, no, I've never, I haven't built anybody to be a slave. Slavery is never in the cards for God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every person is born with a birthright for freedom. And so what does freedom look like and how does freedom come? And the first thing that happens, of course, is a confrontation with the oppressor. So identifying the oppressor and then confronting the oppressor is one of the stages by which we start to get free. Excellent. So um, you were recently a presenter at the Global Leadership Summit. Did you do that in August? Yeah, Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Can Can you give a few highlights from your talk? Yeah, sure. I basically suggested that women and men uh, lead better together. And it's not only something we desire, there's like a real, we we identify the desire for this relationship, these relationships to be better in the brokenness of the current realities of that relationship, wherever oppression is or exploitation is, it seems to be most um, evident in the relationship between men and women. So we have this desire that we're, we're, we're better together. But the reason I think our desire is so strong for that is that it's the way we're designed. So I just took a look at Genesis 1. So before uh, the tree incident with the apple, (laughs) where oppression entered the world, before that was the design of God, our original creator, who tried a design of a male leading by himself. Mm -hmm. And literally in the created order, Mm -hmm. this is the time where God says, this is not good. (laughs) It's literally like the only time. And it's not that he's saying man isn't good. He's saying that man leading by himself is not a good model. And God designs a better model. And the better model is he creates a woman. And they, he creates them to co-steward the earth together, to multiply, to bear fruit, to lead. And there's no hierarchy. There's no inequality. There's no oppression. There's no injustice. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no jostling for position. There's, an, there's a, a beautiful mutuality of their relationship of co-leadership. And it's a better way. So not only do we desire the better way, but we're designed for it. And what I did was just shared a few minutes on how we can begin to live that better way that we're designed for and that we desire uh, in, in, our, in our days today. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So you've, you've actually right. set yourself up for it. So with a couple of minutes left, maybe you would lead us in that direction. 
Well, I mean, without finding a host site. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, it's actually kind of funny because I used a lot of the principles of freedom from the Ultimate Exodus book. Uh, the four uh, the four real steps to freedom that I, I outline in that book are one to believe it's possible. So this is if this is how we're designed to lead, and this is what we're desiring, then we actually have to believe it's possible. That's one of the ways you identify what you're oppressed by, is whatever area in your life you think is impossible. So when we think about men and women leading together in the in the context of the Me Too movement and in the context of sexual abuse and sexual harassment all around the world, we would think it's impossible. Like we actually think it's too hard. Lots of people have given up. Women have given up. Men have given up. Everybody, everyone's like, this is too hard. That's a sure sign of an oppression. When you can't even imagine the possibility of it happening, that's an oppressive system. So that's number one is to identify that as oppression and then to, to actually believe through the lens of faith and possibility that what God designed is what God actually will enable. Mm-hmm. So to believe it's possible is step number one. Two is to stop being so afraid. So what are we afraid of when it comes to women and men? Uh, I think we're afraid of difference, even though so difference through the lens of fear is a threat. But difference through the lens of faith is an opportunity. And so it's about difference, and then it's about mutuality. If we see difference through the lens of opportunity, we'll see it as a mutual learning place. We're better together. That's what that means. So the fact that you're different than me, and no matter what it is, gender is just one difference, but there's many differences. There's Mm -hmm. different cultures, different colors, different backgrounds, different everything, different socioeconomics. Those culture, everything viewed through a lens of fear will be a threat. And that's where it'll land. That's where it'll be. But viewed through the lens of faith and possibility, it's actually an opportunity for us to get better together. So uh, difference in mutuality uh, and then not letting fear dictate our actions. Because if you allow fear to dictate what you do or think or act or policy or whatever it is, then you will either be oppressed or you'll be an oppressor. 